Hey there, folks. It's me. It is me. It is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega coming to you with a very special, extremely special episode 59 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast right here on the IC Robots Radio Network. That's right. We are welcoming you to the 59th episode of this show, wherein we sensationalize the everyday by delving deep into the abyss of my incredibly mundane, average life as a Joe Schmo out here in the beautiful city of Napa, California. And we elevate these mundane tales and synthesize them into takes, thoughts, ruminations, anecdotes that you don't need and didn't ask for, but you're here to listen to anyway, side by side with the other tens of ones that comprise our vast listening audience. If you are new to the show, if you are new to the network, please go to your preferred podcast platform of choice. Look up IC Robots Radio. Hit like, hit subscribe. We will remain connected and the scintillating content will continue to come down the pike as it is available automatically to that platform that you so preferred. And now, on with today's show, I'm coming to you as a somewhat off of his game, Mr. Sensational Genovic. I'm a little little out of it this week. I'm a little bit little, little sluggish, a little not firing on all the right cylinders. There's a few reasons for this. The primary reason being that I'm coming to you off of a somewhat long weekend. Um, the weekend started for me essentially on Thursday night. Um, Ms. S., my wife and I went out with a friend of ours and didn't go out super late or anything. Um, but then I got home and I was wide awake and I made the unfortunate decision to um, play video games and to play video games well into the late night, early morning hours, after which I had to wake up to um, take the sensational children to school. So I got very little sleep on Thursday night, and at my advanced age, when I make this unfortunate decision to get very little sleep, I usually feel like I'm dying the next day. And I probably am, because I think it's very bad for your health to get uh, limited sleep. So I'm trying to make a pact with myself to overcome the inclination to stay up all night and to always get the requisite hours of sleep. It's a little bit difficult for me because I'm wired to stay up and sleep in. That's my natural state, but it is not a state that always conforms well to um, the expectations of biology and society. And since I'm not a uh, four-year-old, I'm not up in arms about fighting against um, those uh, requirements placed on me by both my body and my environment. I mean, I guess I am because I do. My inclination is to stay up late, but I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna try to fight it. I'm going to to surrender to to what is needed from me to live a more peaceful life than than one in a state of constant uh, anger and um, railing against, as it were. So anyway, killed myself on the sleep uh, front going into the weekend. And then the weekend, 
was a very busy one as far as coordinating things for the sensational children. Our daughters, um, 16-year-old Miss One and 13-year-old Miss Two. Uh, Miss One had social plans on Saturday that involved us kind of helping her out all day. And then Sunday was Halloween. Um, and so I continued to have poor sleep patterns because I was busy all day and wasn't really having any chance to zone out or kick back, which is what I prefer to do when I can on the weekends. And so I was trying to make up for it on the back end by, again, staying up late. And so by yesterday, Monday, when I woke up post-Halloween, I was just a wreck. I could barely function. And uh, But function, I had to. Um, because I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show. But um, many years ago, I left college requiring only two classes to finish my bachelor's degree. And I always kind of intended to go back and uh, finish those classes, but years passed, and years passed, and years passed, and now many years have passed, and I'm an old middle-aged person who still had these two classes. And I don't need the degree for anything, but it's just sort of irritating that I, I left all these A's on the table and didn't finish. Um, so long story short, and I, I might have told this story, so I'm not going to bore you with the details, but long story short, I figured out that this was a prime time to um, go back and finish those courses because everything is online right now. When I, That was the big problem when I had to leave college in my 20s. We were moving, and I was kind of out of time to finish, and I chose my personal life over my academic life. Um, but there was no way, like, in order to ever go back and do those classes, I would have to actually physically go back to the location where that college had been, and there was really no reason for me to be there, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, oh, and the, 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 the comical part is in those days, the early 2000s, I remember us young students that were aware of technology, familiar with technology, would always be like, God, it'd be great to be able to take some of these classes online. And the... Uh, <clears throat> Older professors at the time were just up in arms about this idea that th this would somehow destroy the sanctity of the learning environment, the, the lack of face-to-face, -face, the lack of just languishing in a classroom for hours on end, not paying attention to what this professor is rambling on about, and then just at the last minute cramming all your notes and doing the reading and still getting an A, totally independent of the lecture that you didn't listen to anyway. There was no way we could cut out this unnecessary middleman of the in-person class. But now times have changed and then COVID really rapidly accelerated that. I'm taking these on, I'm able to take these online classes for the two classes I need that don't even meet. Like they don't even meet Zoom wise. You, you just get like these PDF lectures, then you have to take a test um, or do an assignment here and there. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I'm sailing through these courses that otherwise I would be having to actually go to in person for like, I think those classes usually meet like three hours a week. Oh, brutal. But that's just gone. Not even a factor. So I'm able to finish. However, one of the classes, I, I, I am exaggerating a bit. One class does not meet at all. This uh, bizarre physics class that I'm having to take for some godforsaken reason. These are both general education requirements classes I'm having to take. And general education requirements as anyone that has ever gone to college, particularly maybe like a state college system, which is the one that I'm in. The GE can get a little esoteric and a little bizarre as to why you're having to take some of these things. Um, but in any case, I'm having to take the physics class that does not meet. And then I'm having to take an ethnic studies class, trigger warning for um, mutants out there in the tens of ones. Ethnic studies class where we, we learn critical race theory. And we, we uh, learn about how to uh, 
make um, white people feel guilty and feel bad about themselves. Just kidding. Um, uh, no, it's just the ethnic studies class. Just you learn about different people's perspective in American history um, is really all it is. It's nothing, nothing nearly as terrifying as um, the mutants want to make it out to seem. It's a, God forbid you, you learn about how other people have experienced life. Um, but in any case, that class does meet a few times. Uh, and Monday, when I was particularly struggling, we had an in-class meeting. And I made it through, but I had to do a group project, a group breakout Zoom room. And it was just brutal. And no one would talk. And no one would go on camera. And so I basically just said, okay, folks, I'll do the assignment and turned it in. And it was just an amazing – the more things change, the more they stay the same. Group work in school still sucks, as my daughters tell me every day, but I got to see it for myself. But I made it through, and I got a good night's sleep last night, but I'm still just feeling kind of out of it, kind of off, and um, I was making my uh, weekly um, dish that I use for a few days of the week for kind of breakfast slash lunch, which is, um, I just, I I throw a salmon filet in the oven with a little seasoning on it, and then I portion that out for about, it lasts for about three days. And uh, I eat that over a bowl of rice. And so I make the rice, you know, each day as needed using a rice cooker, a failing rice cooker. I'm going to have to buy a new one, I think. It's not, not, not doing so well. Its end days seem to be upon it. But normally I do this procedure on autopilot. Today, I put the salmon in the oven. But... Forgot I had done so. And I was sitting out here getting uh, the, the, all my software and computer all set up for recording this show. And um, I thought I was preheating the oven. I was waiting for the little preheat beep to go off when it was ready. And all of a sudden, I realized it's, the house smelled like uh, salmon cooking. And I realized I had put the salmon in, and I have no idea what time I put it in. Um, so I just went and took it out, and it seemed to be done. And it was fine. But yeah, that's that. That's off the game. Then I made the rice, and the rice uh, appeared to be. I followed what I normally do every day of my life, making rice, but it came out all crunchy and stuff. But every now and again with the rice cooker, it'll be like that at first. You just have to kind of like mix it around with a fork and leave it covered for a little bit longer. Then it comes out okay. So thank God, in the end, it came out fine, and I was able to consume my daily quotient of salmon and rice right before beginning this recording. Um, Note on rice and rice cookers. Um, I know a guy who was talking about how he realized he could microwave rice instead of preparing it on a stovetop or preparing it in a rice cooker. And he thought that this was this amazing discovery, microwaving rice. And I tried to step to him about this a bit, but he's uncapable of understanding. And I guess many people would. I don't know. Rice is weird because I, rice is a ubiquitous presence in my life. Um, as a person with uh, Chinese-American family members, Chinese-American influence, rice is like the, the, the bed, the basis of almost all meals from the part of China that our, our family is from. There is There are regions of China where rice is not a thing because China is a very big place. But where our people are from, Rice is kind of the 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 base of everything, food-wise. Um, and so rice is obviously not the star of the show, but 
you need that rock solid foundation to be to be perfect. Or let's be let's be honest. In my case, when I'm just hurrying to make my weekly salmon rice, at least serviceable. You need that foundation to be right for the structure to exist on top of it. And so for me and my understanding of rice, to use instant rice, to use microwaved rice, is really just an abomination. Like you would never do that. But I guess I can understand someone who, I feel like if you're not in an Asian culinary tradition, I don't even know how often you encounter white rice. Um, and so in that case, grabbing that box of Uncle Ben's may, may seem more natural, may make more sense. But yeah, for me, uh, that's just, that, that's unthinkable. And I don't even know what to describe it to, to, to compare it to. Um, there's not really, a, I don't know. I'll have to think about it and get back to you. But yeah, microwave rice, an abomination. Um, and... I guess just one final food note on this very special episode 59 before we move on with the show. I want to give out a quick shout to tens of one member, Engineer Nerd. Engineer Nerd, I have a subscription to the cooking section, the cooking app of the uh, failing New York Times because they have a lot of recipes in there that are very quick to make. And with my current uh, life schedule, I have been moved from not being in charge of weekday dinners to being in charge of weekday dinners. And um, I'm not necessarily a natural cook. Um, That's usually uh, Ms. S's role in our relationship, but now I am being made to be a cook. And so I would rather make stuff that's quick, make stuff that's easy, make stuff that doesn't require a lot of natural culinary talent. So in any case, I made this dish from the failing New York Times cooking uh, section. Time, 10 minutes, took 10 minutes. And this is an accurate time summation on their part. It really did take 10 minutes. I made sheet pan, gochujang, shrimp, and green beans. But get this. We didn't have shrimp last night. I've made this dish with shrimp in the past. Last night, we did not have shrimp. I did not feel like going to the store, but you know what we did have in the refrigerator? Engineer nerd. We had tofu. And in this particular recipe, you can replace the shrimp with tofu, and the results are quite similar. So just wanted to give a shout out that Engineer Nerd, last night I prepared sheet pang, gochujang, tofu, and green beans. And I thought of you and your abiding love for the substance known as tofu. Gino and the Masters of the Vegaverse! I'm Scott, house husband in Napa, California, and defender of the secrets of sensational manner. This is Albert, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my USB microphone and said, by the power of sensational manner, I have the power! (laughs) Albert became Team Wundle, and I became Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, the most mediocre podcaster in the universe. Only three others share this secret. Our friends, Icy Robots, 
Joe C., and maybe someone else who listens to the show. Together we defend sensational manner from the evil forces of Engineer Nerd and 89 Batman. And folks, we are back, and as promised, um, although not totally living up to the promise, um, we've got more Motu, more Masters of the Universe talk this week. Last week, I started my look back phase by phase through the original series of Masters of the Universe toys and um, thoughts on some of those uh, individual toys, whether I owned them, any attendant stories that exist for me around them. And we got through like part of phase one. And I said I would finish it this week. And I said I would start the show right off with it to make sure we had enough time to get through it. But I didn't. I meandered around and talked about God knows what. Um, but we are now going to continue with that look at the classic Marvels of the Universe, Marvels of the Universe, Masters of the Universe toy line, easy for me to say. So, folks, last time, if I remember correctly, we finished off with the uh, four heroic warriors from oh, Wave 1, not Phase 1, Wave 1 from 1981 when I was five or six. And as I said, I received most of these toys for my birthday that year from various extended family members on my mother's side. Um, <clears throat> so we got through He-Man, we got through Man-at-Arms, we got through Stratus, we got through Tila. Now we are going to move over to the evil warriors from Wave 1. Um, and just really quickly, I want to apologize. I think on the first segment of this episode, I was having some issues with my microphone because of a setting that I had improperly clicked. Um, so apologies if it was a little bit jumpy, a little pops and stuff here and there. I think we are on a smoother track for the rest of the ride, and I really don't want to go back and redo the entire part one. So we're just going to have to live with a little jankiness. What else is new in the Vegaverse? So yes, moving on to the evil warriors of Wave 1. Masters of the Universe toys and the figures. Um, we have Beast Man, we have Merman, and we have Skeletor. Once again, I did, in fact, receive each of these action figures for that fifth or sixth birthday, depending on when exactly in 81 um, these came out. Uh, and I definitely... Um, I don't know if it's fair to say that I think more fondly of the evil warriors than I do the heroic warriors, but I feel that in some ways they definitely were more memorable toys, but um, I have, I guess, extenuating reasons for feeling that way. Um, so again, as we talked about last time, and as I'm sure all of you other old folks out there listening know, these original toys came with little mini comics. And at the time that I received these toys, this first Wave 1 on that, on that birthday in 1981, I could not read on my own quite yet. And our family had this little um, Sony tape player slash tape recorder um, that my dad would refer to as a shoebox tape recorder, I guess because it was about the size of a shoebox. And um, he actually took all of the mini comics and read them out loud, uh, recording them on cassette tape um, using the shoebox Sony tape recorder, read them out loud, including doing voices for the various uh, characters. 
Um, I think for He-Man, he did kind of a, I am He-Man, booming type voice. Um, for Merman, I remember he would do, Skeletor was much like Skeletor ended up being in the, in the cartoon, like, ha, 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 I am Skeletor. And then Beastman was sort of like, oh, I am Beastman. So again, kind of prefiguring the cartoon, but before the cartoon actually existed. Um, I found this to be absolutely mind-blowing at the time that I was able to have the, these these tape-recorded versions with voice of, of the mini-comics. And in addition to that, because I think that tape recorder was like new in our, our household at the time, my dad showed me how I myself could take the tape recorder and record different things. Like I would record, I would fill a pot full of water, and then if you would hit the side of it with a wooden spoon and slosh it around, it would make this weird like sound, and I would record that. I'd record myself singing stupid, dopey kid songs, talking about God knows what. And honestly, I feel like it's kind of a precursor to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. Because when I when it came time for me to mess around with podcasting, I don't even really know why I chose to. It's just that it felt like this natural thing. And I feel like it's because I spent all that time as a kid recording myself um, talking about nonsense. Why not do it as an, as an adult? And so... The more things change, the more they stay the same. Forty years down the path, we're still we're still here on the microphone. Um, so anyway, because the evil warriors had the most memorable voices by way of my dad in those um, recorded stories, I feel like they were like more interesting characters to me. And like heels always are more interesting, right? Like when, when is the last time, like seriously, like a good guy, a baby face was more interesting than a heel. I'd like, if you have an example, please, um, let me know. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at sensational Vega. Let me know what baby face in the history of good versus evil popular culture has been more interesting than a heel. Um, of course, you know, the baby faces are always more popular with, with, with the dopey masses. Like, you know, Hulk Hogan did bigger box office than, than Rowdy Roddy Piper. I mean, together, the two of them did quite a bit of box office, but just if you looked at each of them individually, there were were probably more Hulk Hogan fans in the world in the 1980s than there were Rowdy Roddy Piper fans. But look back at them, be honest with yourself, which character was more interesting? And I, I can't even imagine if you were acting in good faith, if you're being honest with yourself, you would say Hogan was more interesting. Similar with these Masters of the Universe toys. Um, just breaking them down one by one. I was fascinated with Beast Man. That, that just orange color that he had was so appealing. And it's funny because it was like there, there was something about the oranges, the shades of oranges used in, in these original motifs. Because I mentioned last episode that uh, He-Man, his circular shield, had those cutouts with orange in them. And then Beast Man had, had his own orange body color. And it's not like I made a direct connection to those when I was a kid. But, you know, when you're five and you're six, you're kind of living in this kind of a psychedelic, hallucinogenic state anyway. Like half the time the toys are talking to you, the colors are making noises. You, 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 you can hear colors. You can smell sounds. You know, <clears throat> you, you still have all these um, heightened senses that haven't been dulled down by definitions and, and uh, uh, laws of physics, you know, you don't understand that stuff yet. So, so the world is just a much more open place. At least it was for me. So there was an orangeness of the, that first wave that, that, uh, called to me in general. And you could see little, little, uh, shades of it here and there, but it came to fruition 
in Beast Man. Beast Man was resplendent in the orange of the Masters of the Universe, the orange that kind of blanketed the whole franchise. It all came to a head in the form of Beast Man. Beast Man also appeared to have sort of like, it's almost like he was wearing makeup. I'm going to look at a picture of Beast Man really quick. Um, trying to get him on here. Of course, the first thing that, first thing that comes up is not uh, when I type Beast Man toy. It's not 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 the original toy. Not one, not like a knockoff, you know, reboot toy. But get this, I see robots, a Funko Pop, your favorite thing in the world, your favorite thing in all the land. So yeah, Beastman, he had this kind of like white face with like bluish uh, tinge around it, and um, almost like he's wearing like blue lipstick and blue rouge. And at that same time in life, I was fascinated with D. Schneider of Twisted Sister. And so I used to think Beast Man and D. Schneider were somehow linked because of the use of um, makeup, the wearing of face paint, as it were, in kind of a similar way. Different colors, similar application. Maybe they went to the same stylist. Who knows? I, pro- I could probably Google that and find out, but we're just going to leave that to the imagination. He also had that really cool, like... Um, whatever the gimmick is that he's wearing around his chest with kind of like the big kind of puffy collar that goes up around him and like the blue uh, insignia in the middle and the, the, those menacing uh, armbands and then that whip that was just, uh, he was just going to flay people with that thing. Just flay them in two. Um, fascinating character. Fascinating figure. Um, similar with Merman. Uh, Merman, the, the, the thing that really stands out to me the most with Merman was that voice my dad did. It was just over the top and just the epitome of Merman to me then, now, and forever. Um, even even like his bubbly little underwater sword was all sounding when you looked at it. You could just hear it just oozing out of the plastic into the, into the atmosphere. Um, Merman always looked very worried to me, very concerned, and he still does. Just, just, he, he has that same look on his face that... Um, Butthead from Beavis and Butthead had when he was like uh, confounded or disgusted by something and just like, ah, and his face contorts with a kind of like frown. That's that look that Merman has. Merman always seems very disconcerted. He's either he's either concerned or he's confused. Something's going on. Merman never seemed like the the, the, the sharpest knife in the evil warrior drawer, if you know what I'm saying. Um, maybe a little too much of the salt water to the brain. Merman. Now Skeletor... Skeletor were veering back into boring babyface territory, but in this case with a heel. Because Skeletor is just so over the top. Ooh, he's a skull. He's a bad guy. He's evil. And it's just like, eh, you know, Skeletor, you're just not. I mean, I get that you're running the Evil Warrior show, but dude, you're, you're a skeleton face. Like, that, that. If it's the kind of thing that, like, if I, at five years old, was sitting around with my friends and it's like, Let's create some characters, uh, imaginary characters to have a fight, good and evil. I'm going to have the main bad guy be a skeleton called Skeletor. My other five-year-old peers would probably be like, no, dude, that's the, you, you could do better than that. Come on. So yeah, Skeletor's a little weak and the Skeletor toy is fine. Um, but I just, I never, I don't even really remember ever using Skeletor. I didn't use He-Man a whole lot either, but I, I, I do remember him being in the mix. But Skeletor was just kind of off to the side and I was having like... S- Beastman and Merman pick on Stratos. You know, that was kind of more my jam. Now, moving on from these evil warriors, 
we go to the strangest character, I think, in, if not all of humanity, certainly in Wave 1, the, the most head-scratching character. And um, this would be a fellow by the name of Zodak. Now, Zodak was not a heroic warrior. Zodak was not an evil warrior. Zodak was put in the category of non-aligned. Zodak is this weird dude um, with kind of webbed feet or like, like taloned feet. Um, you remember the guy. Um, cosmic space character. He's got a ray gun. He's weirdly kind of like amphibious looking because, he's, again, he's got like this sort of dragony feet. Um and then kind of these, like, gill-type things on his arms. And um, almost like the, the, the head is like a helmet, but it's almost like kind of gill-looking um, in the face. He's got this, like, silver band that goes across the, the, the nose to the ears. Um, it almost looks like, like an oxygen tube or something. Um, and didn't he come with, um, uh, like, a floaty space sled or something or am I remembering that wrong um I'm trying to look here um Zodak it was like a chariot um and I'm getting I'm getting tarot cards looking up Zodak chariot um Zodak sled yeah maybe I'm imagining that or maybe it was in a cartoon um, but in any case, Zodak was always very strange to me because I thought that, um, his position as being non-aligned was an odd choice because in such a grim, obvious world of good versus evil, what would be the purpose of remaining non-aligned? And now I had this toy and I have to imagine he came with a mini comic that might've explained his origins and either I sort of blew off or didn't pay attention to that mini comic, or I just can't remember any of it or the mini comic actually created this, this thought in me, but I always felt like his story, I, I felt like he was sitting on this epic tale that was waiting to be told these epic details of who he was and what he was all about. that were waiting to be told that never really reached fruition the Masters of the Universe, universe. And I'm sure he was in the cartoon too, but I just feel like he was sort of this strange character to be an OG, to be wave one, and to be as kind of peripheral as he always was. It was very odd to me. I, I feel like the, Zodak had more promise. Zodak, um, Zodak could have even been almost the Destro of He-Man. Destro being kind of an unaligned character in the G.I. Joe universe, who in my Estimation is almost kind of the main character of G.I. Joe, particularly if you go back and read the Hama, Larry Hama Marvel comics, which I recently have read the entire series of. Destro plays a very pivotal part, and Destro's whole sliding alignment and non-alignment is what makes his character loom so large in that world. And I was kind of, I, I looked to Zodak for that, and I just, I, I just hear the cosmic abyss whispering nothingness back to me. Not a lot from Zodak, Wish I could have gotten more from him. Folks, we have gone a full half hour, and because I did a bunch of vegan talking about nothing at the beginning, we are still not complete with wave one. And I would rather 
do this same dance again next time and finish it up then maybe than go particularly long here today. So we're going to end the show today and we're going to come back hopefully one last time with Wave 1 next time talking about the vehicles and um, the playset and the uh, non-human, the animal characters, toys from Wave 1. We will delve into the mystery of who exactly was Screech, a character that I said I didn't remember last time by name, but I looked it up and I do recognize Screech. So we will talk more about Screech and the rest of the, the, the Wave 1 that we haven't gotten to next time. Until then, it's me, it's me, it's Gino V. Thanks once again for bearing with me. Thanks once again for being a part of the IC Robots Radio Network, a, a true family, a true audio family. Thanks to each and every one of you. If you'd like to stay in touch, uh, give me a follow over at, at @sensationalvega on Twitter. I will follow you back. Um, it's it's a very very small uh, crew over there with me and my Twitter sphere. <laughs> so you'll be part of a very exclusive group if you uh, send out a follow. In the meantime, we'll be back next week. And until then, I am signing off. I now demand revenge. What revenge? Are you ready? My beauty? <laughs> Are you revenge? Revenge! <laughs> revenge! No! Help me! Help me! Oops. <laughs>